Welcome to Two Sides to the Story with Ted and Lori. I'm Lori Hearstetter. And I'm Ted Zaleski. Lori and I recently had a chance to do an interview with an author. This was a Friends of the Carroll County Library event, their annual meeting. And the Friends of Carroll County Library is what it sounds like. Uh, they are around to provide support to the library system. And if you're interested, you can join for five dollars and go to the Carroll County Public Library website and find them. So we had an opportunity to interview Sarah Adler and her book on her book, Mrs. Nash's Ashes. Uh, she is Frederick County, one county over. Uh, we had a fun time talking with her both before the interview and during you know, doing the actual interview with her. Um, I said something to Ted before we started this recording today about just that, that the interviews that we've done together so far, the majority of them, all of them actually, to up till this one, were done, um, the first interaction with the author was as the interview started. This was different because the event allowed us to sit and have some snacks and drinks with her and get to know her for 15, 20 minutes before the first question was asked um, and the first interview began. So uh, just a whole different experience and one that I actually prefer. It was nice to get to know her on a personal level before we even talked about her book. Yeah, that's interesting because I've often tried to avoid getting to know people before the interview so that it didn't impact kind of what I was trying to trying to do. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we will play the interview yeah. and then give you some comments at the end. Enjoy listening. Um, a little bit of a story about how this, this happened. Um, Lori and I went to an event at uh, E.W. Bex in Sykesville, Books at Bex it's called, and they have publisher, publisher representatives come in to talk about books that they're excited about. And these people tend to get very excited about books. But one of the books that they talked about was Mrs. Nash's Ashes. I was unaware of Sarah, I was unaware of the book, but uh, Lori and I both were, uh, it caught our attention. And then sometimes I'll go look can I find an email for an author? And usually the answer is no. And I don't remember the details now, but I came across a, an email for Sarah and I, I sent her an email saying who we were and we'd be interested in doing something with her if we could. And uh, she responded. That doesn't always happen. She said she, she would be interested. It took a while for us to, to actually arrange a time, which turned out to, to be this, a, a library, Friends of the Library event. Uh, but we're glad that um, we were able to get you here and have a chance to, to talk with you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, it's a real honor to be here today um, at your friends meeting. Uh, this is really cool. This is a really cool space. I live in Frederick, and we have some really cool stuff, but we, I don't think we have anything like this, so I'm very impressed. Okay. Yeah, so what Ted was saying, um, has anybody been to Books at Bex when they go through the, okay, I would definitely recommend it. There's one coming next week. I don't know if there's space available for that, but it is really cool. If you don't know what you want to read next, it's a great way to help figure that out. 
because the representatives from the publisher give you sort of a synopsis of the books. And that's exactly what happened, is you have it in front of you, and you're jotting down little asterisks next to the ones that you like. And Ted and I read very differently. That's why we're two sides to the story. Um, but your book is one that we both marked. And part of that was because you're a local author. So we'll talk a little bit more. Um, we have some questions for you today. And that goes into the local component in your book. Is that right? Okay, so don't wait. If you're interested, um, you know, make your sp give your spot. So you can do that off of a Likely Stories website. I believe there's a link. Yes. And it's on there. $5, and you get a coupon for $5 for the book purchased that night. Thank you, John. Oh, okay. So, um, first question for you about the book um, and about being a local author. As I'm reading, several things pop up if you're from this area. You read things like I-95 and Fredericksburg, Virginia and the horrible traffic in that area. And even a record store in Silver Spring and Georgia Avenue is mentioned. So, familiar things to all of us. It's different when you read a book and you get that local flavor. So I wanted to hear just a little bit about you as a local. Um, I know you haven't lived here your whole life, I believe Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. but your experience in the Maryland area and particular Carroll County, have you been here with us before? Um, yeah, so actually I was born in Baltimore. Um, my first house when I was a little tiny kid was in Dundalk. Um, and then I got to be closer to school age and it was the early 90s and my parents were like, let's move. Um, and so we wound up in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, um, outside of Hanover where they make us potato chips and Snyder's pretzels. Um, and so I grew up there and then I went to uh, American University in Washington DC for college and stuck around for a while. And then in 2020, my family decided to move to Frederick to be a little closer to my parents um, who are still in Hanover. Um, but I've, I would say I've spent a good amount of time in this area, um, especially because my grandparents lived in Baltimore. So anytime we would make the trip to visit them when I was little, this was kind of the halfway point. Um, so we would come to Westminster a lot to um, have dinner or, or you know, whatever we needed to do. Um, and this is also kind of the halfway point for people I know, so I come here sometimes and have lunch with folks, and um, it's a really, really great county. Um, I like how it's really similar to Frederick, but also mm -hmm. it has its own distinct flavor. Um, and yeah, I was really happy for the excuse to come back today. Yeah, I think you can tell we're sister counties. It just, you know, it's got that, you know, sister towns. It's definitely, you can tell that the feel is similar. Okay, so there were a lot of real places in the book. But um, Lori and I talked a bit about Gasly, South Carolina, where a lot of the book, or an important part of the book takes place at least, appears to not be a real place. Is that true? Yeah, that is true. In fact, when they were recording the audiobook, they didn't realize it wasn't a real place, and they tried to look up the pronunciation and realized they didn't have it. <laughs> and they had to send me an email in the middle of recording and be like, can you please tell us how to say this? So you do give some information that would allow you to, to roughly locate it. You know, it's not far from 95. It's not far from US 501. At one point, Hollis says that he grew up about an hour to the west in Columbia, South Carolina. So is there 
a town that uh, was Gadsley and you just changed the name or was it just came out with it from nowhere? Um, there is a smallish town located about there. Uh, the name of it is escaping me right now. Um, when I wrote this, it was very deep into the COVID pandemic. So uh, I was relying a lot on Google Maps for everything. Um, and so uh, I kind of looked location-wise what was around there. Um, and this, there is a place, uh, again, I don't remember the name. Um, and then the actual kind of feel of the town, I based somewhat on a place called Chiral. Um, in Chesterfield, South Carolina. Those are two very, very small South Carolina towns that my in-laws are from. Um, I spent a little bit of time there visiting uh, my husband's family. And um, they're, they're maybe a little even smaller than Gadsley. Gadsley's kind of a small town with a main street, um, whereas Chiral, like not all the roads are paved. Um, so that's kind of where I got the inspiration. But I, I really wanted to kind of create my own place um, so that I didn't accidentally insult any real places. Um, and also just the history can be fraught anytime you're using a real place. Um, and so I wanted to kind of be able to create my own place with its own history. Um, and uh, that's how Gadsley was created. Yeah, there's a couple of things I wanted to ask you about the writing of the book. First, it's in um, second person point of view, which is I mean, not crazy unusual, but not typical. And, and also, you had a chapter structure that I don't ever remember running across something like this before. Uh, when you are with Elsie and Rose in the past, you titled their chapters but didn't number them, and they don't, they don't count in the number sequence. The Hollis Millie books are all numbered and would count up the way you uh, would, would expect. So um, anything interesting to tell us about choosing second, second person and then uh, was the chapter thing just something that happened, or did you have reasons for wanting to do that? Um, well, it's actually, it's first person. Um, it's told from Millie's point of view in the present. Um, so first person present is an increasingly popular uh, way to tell stories, especially in genre fiction, especially in rom-coms. Um, <clears throat> I believe it started probably around 2012-ish with The Hating Game. Um, by Sally Thorne, uh, she she did a really good job of that, and it kind of allows you to be extra voicey to kind of really fall into that character's point of view. Um, and then for the Rose and Elsie parts, I very much wanted it to be its own thing. I wanted to be clear that this was happening in the past, um, so I switched to third person past. Um, but also, I just love playing around with point of view intense. I. I have a project that I'm not sure I'll ever finish that has four points of view that alternates between present and past tense with the parts that happen in the past and present and the parts in the present and past. Um, so I, I just kind of like any excuse to play around with craft. I think that that's something really fun that I can do um, in a genre where people might not expect that. So this is going back to something you said a few minutes ago about writing the book during the pandemic. And there's a part at the back of the book after it's finished. I think it's, I was just gonna look, I think it's called Behind the Book. Mm -hmm. And I get confused about it because on our show we have a segment of the show that we call Beyond the Book. And it's a similar thing. It's beyond what you're reading, what's the story behind the story. And I don't wanna give away too much 
I want you to get the book if you haven't about the book itself, but the experience of writing it and how you did it during the pandemic and Taco Bell's role in it. Would you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I started writing um, seriously when I had my daughter. I wound up quitting my full-time job. Um, well, I graduated with my master's and then had my daughter a month later and then quit my full-time job a couple months later. And so I was in this odd position where I suddenly went from doing a whole bunch of things to just being at home with an infant. Um, and so I kind of found reading and then through that found writing. Um, so I was actually working on my second manuscript in March of 2020. I had written the first chapter the week before lockdown. Um, so I actually finished that, queried agents with that, shelved that, and then started Mrs. Nash's Ashes uh, in the winter of 2021. Um, so that was an interesting time because we started to have the vaccine roll out. It started to seem like, hey, maybe this isn't forever, but it was still like feeling like forever because I didn't have the vaccine yet. And you know, people weren't traveling, people weren't doing anything. So I really wanted to write a road trip so I could mentally be elsewhere. Um, and part of that was that sometimes I just needed to get out of my house, uh, but there were kind of limited places to go, especially because I was going mostly in the evenings when my husband would be done working and could take care of our daughter. And so I found myself doing a lot of my writing in my car in parking lots where I could mooch Wi-Fi um, because I have a Chromebook, so I need Wi-Fi to write. Um, and so I found that Taco Bell was like a pretty good place because it was <laughs> our Taco Bell was never super busy. There was always a spot right next to the building where the Wi-Fi was the strongest. Um, sometimes I'd go to Starbucks, uh, although that was iffier, McDonald's, Dunkin', just pretty much all these different suburban parking lots in Frederick. Um, and I would pretty much just pull up as close to the building as I could get and write until my feet went numb because it was like February um, and I wasn't gonna have my car running the whole time. So um, yeah, I, I wrote a lot of this in parking lots, uh, <laughs> uh, which looking back feels sad, but it was, um, it, was, it was a really good time for me because that time crunch of like, oh, I gotta get these words in before my feet go numb, um, before I have to go back home, before the Wi-Fi kicks me off. Um, so it was a nice alternative to kind of my old habit of writing in coffee shops. And, uh, you know, a labor of love, first of all, because your feet are numb to make this book happen. So it gives us a different appreciation for what you've done. And then also, I think something to be said for you commented in your notes about this, that it's appropriate. It's a book about a road trip, and she wrote a lot of the book in a vehicle. So it just kind of works. Something else I want to ask you about, and this was of particular interest for me, because uh, we talked about children a little bit as we were sitting at the table waiting to, to come do this with you. And I got to know a little bit about Sarah personally, and she has a five-year-old daughter. And I have an 18-year-old son, and it feels like five minutes ago that he was a five-year-old son. So don't blink, it's gonna go very quickly. Um, but he is very passionate about music. And in your book, the playlist is an important component of the book. In fact, Ted found the playlist on Spotify that you can listen to all of the songs that are mentioned in the playlist that were part of Hollis and Millie's trip. And um, I already mentioned before about the, the record store in Silver Spring. Is it any chance it was called Record Exchange, if mm -hmm. it's a real one? I've been there with my son looking for records. 
So can you tell us a little bit about music and its influence in your life besides the book? Because it's evident in the book. Um, yeah, my father is very musically talented. Um, I grew up with a little bit of that talent, but nowhere near the same. I played cello for a long time. Um, and I always, I always loved music. Uh, it was a thing that I got really, really into certain bands at certain times. Um, I went through a very intense queen phase when I was probably 13, which was, as you can imagine, not a super common thing uh, in the 2000s. Um, so, and I really started to fall in love with my dad's music, which was a lot of Steely Dan, Elvis Costello, Genesis. Um, things that were a little bit retro, a little bit different. Um, and then uh, our local radio station, uh, 98YCR, if anyone remembers mm -hmm. that, turned over to a, classical, a classic rock format when I was uh, in eighth grade. And it was like the best thing that had ever happened to me <laughs> um, because I suddenly had a station playing these songs that I really liked. And I started having friends that would get really into it too. Um, and so for a really large chunk of my time, uh, I was really out of the loop culturally. Like I was living in the 70s and 80s while all of my friends were getting into Taylor Swift and things like that. And that's kind of, I still haven't caught up completely. Um, but I, I've always kind of liked uh, older music. Um, I really liked, uh, there was a show on VH1 when I was younger called I Love the 70s and mm -hmm. I Love the 80s, um, where it was like talking heads talking about different cultural things from the 70s and 80s. So pretty much anything I didn't already know, I picked up through that and just kind of uh, almost was like, I, I knew more than my parents about some of it who had lived through it. Um, and so I wanted to kind of have something like that in, in my writing um, in a way that felt organic. Um, and at the time I started writing, one of the pl other places I started writing was outside of the coffee shop before it got too cold. Um, and at the coffee shop they had on uh, Sirius XM The Bridge, which is basically mellow classic rock, things like Fleetwood Mac. Um, and. I got really into Fleetwood Mac. That was my Fleetwood Mac era when I was, uh, I guess, 20, 29. I got really into Fleetwood Mac because suddenly, like, landslides started making sense to me, and I was like, cool, this is really good stuff. Um, and so I kind of like the idea of, of that creeping into Millie's personality, too, um, a way to put a little of myself into her um, and also make her a little weirder because, like, uh, that is something you don't see very much um, in, with somebody who's about 30 years old. That was exactly my observation, that the playlist is, you would expect for an older character, and she's a young woman. And I, I kind of wondered if there was a little bit of Millie in you coming through in that. So that makes perfect sense. You had some favorite songs from the playlist. Yeah, there's a lot of songs I knew. Really good liked. stuff. Some, some I didn't know, though. Um, one that really caught my attention was Sentimental, Sentimental Lady by Bob Welch. I don't think it's as well known as maybe many of the songs on the list were, but I, I, I like seeing that. It's funny with you about uh, saying your queen phase. Um, my daughter put together a playlist for her wedding, and there are four songs now that I can't hear them without thinking about her wedding, but one of them is Queen's uh, crazy little thing called Love. <laughs> so if Ken Burns ever does a movie about Sarah, 
I'm wondering if he's going to be going to all these fast food places asking for their surveillance <laughs> videos. <laughs> I told you he's funny. <laughs> we could see, uh, see Sarah sitting in her car writing, writing away. Um, and you also included a Carol, Cal Carol King song. Yeah, if you ask me what's my favorite album, I, I would struggle to say I can pick, pick one, but, but Tapestry would certainly be in the competition. I think uh, the next question is sort of, we could spend the entire time talking about it. And I don't want to give away too much for those of you who haven't read the book, but it's really about love stories, two of them. There is a very new love, unexpected love, and there is a long-term, 80-year span love story. So again, we're gonna be real careful because we don't wanna say too much if, if you haven't um, read the book. But uh, just some, some thoughts about love. You wanted to ask a question, I'm gonna look up a quote to share with you guys without giving too much detail. Okay, so I think you made some reference to this when you, you started talking, or, or maybe it was Andrea, but uh, central question in the book is, does happily ever after exist? And, um, and some of the book is tension between two people on debating the, the, this idea. So um, you wrote about it, but you wrote about it in different ways, and just wondering, uh, do you come down on this one way or another? I mean, I'm a romance writer, so I have to believe in it, uh, or else my job would be very, very hard. Uh, you can't really write stories uh, about people falling in love and it lasting if you don't believe that's possible. Um, a lot of things in my life, uh, I've, I've been very fortunate to have two parents who really love each other, um, have been together a long time. Uh, my in-laws are still together and, and love each other very much. Um, I'm, all my grandparents were together a very long time. I, I, I believe, I definitely believe in love. Uh, did I mention my marriage? Also that. Um, <laughs> um, I've been with my husband for most, I don't know if it's most of my life at this point, but uh, a very long time and we're very happy. Um, I, I definitely think that love can be different though. Um, there's different types of love. Um, there's love that can be expressed openly. There's love that uh, historically has been kept secret. Um, and so I, I think that all of those stories are important and I wanted to, to tell a couple different ones. So uh, it's really hard. I marked 30 easily and I'm just gonna share one. Um, this is directly from the book. I'd rather you resent me now than in 10 years when you realize that the things I can't give you are the ones you truly want after all. Just get you right there. So you're very funny, your book is funny, but you also have this ability to make you feel in a very beautiful way. So uh, that's the long-term love story. And I'll, I'll save another quote for the, the new romance um, a little bit later on. We talked a little bit beforehand about um, your daughter Hazel and the dedication in the book is to your husband and I want to get it exactly right to Houston you were right this was the one I assume it's about the book but will you tell us a little more and confirm or discount that 
Um, yeah, so this was my first book I published, but it was the third one I wrote. Um, it is very, very hard to publish a book traditionally, like with a major publisher. Um, there are lots and lots of steps, uh, lots of luck involved, uh, lots of working on your craft and getting better and better. Um, and as soon as I started writing this one, it just felt different. It felt like I finally had hit my stride, that I finally found my voice, figured out what kinds of stories I wanted to tell, figured out how to actually have a plot. That was important, it turns out. Um, and my husband has always been what is called my alpha reader, my first reader. He reads everything I write, usually the same day I write it. Um, and so when I sent this to him, uh, for him to reread it all together cohesively for the first time, his response uh, at the end was just, this is so good, babe, I think this is the one. And so when I got my agent with it, um, and when I sold it to Berkeley, uh, it was like, yeah, this was the one actually. Um, and it's funny because if you uh, are a Goodreads user, the top review on this book is actually my husband <laughs> um, talking about how he loves this book, uh, but is biased because his wife wrote it and uh, he has something like 200 something likes on that review. He's like more popular than most reviewers on there. Um, so yeah, that it is about the book, but um, he is very much the reason I was able to write it. Yeah. I'm going to slide in another quick question that was going to come later, but it just seems like the right time. So we have Hazel, and we have Houston, and we have Hollis Hollenbeck is the, one of the main characters in the book. Any connection there, or is it just coincidence? Um, just coincidence. Uh, Hollis's original, um, original name I was, there was a project I started after my first finished manuscript um, that didn't get very far, it wasn't good. Uh, but there was a character in that named F. Hollis Wright. And I kind of liked the name, um, and so I decided to reuse it. But in this book, Hollis is a writer, and I was like, I can't have a writer with the last name Wright, that's too on the nose. Um, so he wound up having a new last name. I've always leaned toward alliteration for some reason. Um, my first, the first thing I wrote had an Emily Eckerd. Um, the second one I wrote had a Mac Macy. Um, so I, I guess I gravitated toward the H last names. Uh, and I also try to find names that aren't obviously a living person so that if they Google themselves, it's not really awkward for them. Uh, and so I was able to figure out that there don't, there doesn't appear to be anyone named Hollis Hollenbeck in the United States. Wow, So um, hard to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, or at least not enough of them that I, I felt like I would be writing about somebody personally. So that is, uh, I, I've heard it called a Muppet name uh, because it is, it is a little silly, but. I love it. I think it's a great name. So I always like when I run into a really interesting detail in a, in a book and you had one. Um, Millie is putting on a t-shirt that says bookstore movers. It had been really easy just read right on past that and never give it another thought. I said, bookstore movers. I wonder if that's really something, and it is something. You want to tell us about bookstore movers? Um, yeah, so bookstore movers is a moving company in D.C. that is owned and operated by the people who own Capitol, City, Capitol Hill Books uh, in Eastern Market. Um, I think they started it in order to move their store or to raise extra money, and now it's its own separate business. Um, but I decided I wanted, I wanted to have like a little character moment that Hollis was living in D.C. for grad school 
And I was like, well, he would have had a job to pay for grad school or pay his way through grad school. Why wasn't? Why couldn't he be a mover? Um, so I decided he worked for bookstore movers during grad school, and it was just like a little Easter egg. Um, but funny enough, I actually got an Instagram message a couple months ago from bookstore movers <laughs> uh, saying that somebody on their staff had read the book and caught that mention and got a real kick out of it. And they, um, so they and Capitol Hill Books started putting it on their Instagrams um, and thanking me for the shout out, which was really a really fun thing for me. Wonderful that you're sending them business. That was probably, maybe not your intention, but it, it, maybe it worked. Um, so this is back to the love stories for a moment. And we talked about the long-term romance, just a little taste for you. So um, a little snip of the short-term new romance. Um, she's described by him as sunshine, and he is described by her as a low rumble of thunder. So you know what they say about opposites attract. Um, but one quote really got me, like the long-term one did, which is, I somehow convinced myself my feelings for him were a bathtub instead of an ocean. So just imagine for a minute, uh, the road trip and the things that might ensue if you haven't read it. Hopefully it piques your interest. It's, it's a lovely story about the long-term and the short-term romance. Sorry. <laughs> it's interesting. Um, sometimes people come up with ideas for books. It seems like, oh, wow, that must be a new idea. We were talking to uh, a lady named uh, Patty Callahan. Mm -hmm. uh, some of you... If, who have listened to us might have heard her talk about, have heard us talk about her. But um, her latest book uh, has um, World War II when the kids were being moved out of London into the countryside. And turned out that two other writer friends of hers had picked up on the same topic and wrote, they're saying, oh, how did this happen? We all did this at the same time. And nobody's ever done this before. And I said, Nope, not so. What my most recommended book ever, The War That Saved My Life, is about the same sort of topic. Now with yours, you know, carrying some ashes on a road trip seems like a pretty crazy idea, but there's actually another book called Ashes to Asheville, which is taking ashes on a road trip. Uh, just happened to read that by accident maybe a, a year or two. Now your books are very different, you know, so it's not like you've uh, redone what somebody else did but yeah, you, you just wonder sometimes you know how these ideas pop up in different places at the at the same time and uh, you don't know the book right no i don't okay. so um i was listening to an interview of you i think this is where this first came up you know the can you tell tell the audience some about the how the ashes came into the mix at all um, yeah, so as I mentioned, I was listening to a lot of uh, The Bridge on Sirius XM around then, um, and I was uh, actually driving into D.C. to get my cello repaired and uh, listening to that, and there was an interview uh, with Graham Nash, which, coincidence, uh, I didn't do that intentionally, um, talking about how when his mother died, he brought her ashes on tour with him and would sprinkle a little bit on every stage he played to help her symbolically achieve her dreams of being on stage. Um, and it was like a really sweet gesture, but I just could not stop thinking about the logistics because what happens then? Like, 
you just have someone's remains on the stage. Somebody's got to clean that up, or he's got to put that back in their urn. It's a very weird thing, actually. And so I just found myself coming back to this over and over, like when I was folding laundry or in the shower, I was just thinking about these ashes and what was happening to them. Um, and then at the same time, I was trying to come up with my next book idea, and I thought about what would a contemporary version of the film It, Happens, it Happened One Night look like? And I thought, wait, these things could go together and make something that's really unique. Um, so that is where the ashes came in, of, of just could not stop thinking about this little story I heard on the radio. So we have a handful of questions left, but I want to be cognizant of the time. Does someone want to give us an indication of how much more time we should take and when to turn it over for audience questions? About an hour. <laughs> Keep going. Maybe one more question. <laughs> one more question? Okay, very good. Um, so I want to give you an opportunity, maybe someone would ask this, but just in case, this one has to get in, that you've got a book in the works that you're almost done with, but we're not going to see that one until 2025. But uh, the next one is, is done. It's going to be released in April. So I'd like you, if you would, to share us a little bit about that book for those who might be done your first and waiting for your second, like me. Uh, absolutely. So um, it is called Happy Medium. Uh, it is another rom-com. It is the story of a fake spirit medium a skeptical goat farmer and a ghost. Um, so uh, basically this former con woman who's trying to go a little bit more on the straight and narrow by being a fake spirit medium, um, she gets hired to go to this goat farm to cleanse it. And uh, when she's there, she runs into this farmer who does not want her there at all, does not believe there's anything wrong with his property and she better get off it right now. And as she's trying to leave, she runs into the ghost that's actually haunting it um, that she can see and talk to. Uh, so uh, it's about her trying to convince this farmer that there is a family curse uh, that threatens his life while dealing with this 1920s ghost who really loves television. And um, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's pretty different, but it's a lot of fun. Okay, so I'm gonna come around. Raise your hand if you have a question that you'd like to ask Sarah. thinking about you sitting in all those parking lots and I wondered if uh, a policeman ever came and knocked on the window <laughs> or anything something like that uh, no I get away with a lot of weird behavior just because I'm small and cute um, <laughs> no one usually thinks I'm very threatening uh, which also means I can often go places I don't belong without anyone thinking anything of it uh, including loitering in parking lots oh, no. uh, another hand Well, thank you for being here. I love your your um, unique and novel approach to your characters and your story. I look forward to reading your, this book and the next ones to come. My question to you is, um, do you ever think you might change one or two for scripts and sell it to Hallmark? <laughs> Um, fair warning, my books are a little bit spicier than things you're going to find on Hallmark. Um, but um, thankfully, that is not my responsibility, and I have uh, a team, which makes me feel very important. Um, I, I have a film agent who is currently shopping it around, and we've got some initial interest, but nothing yet. Um, 
but it is something that I really hope comes through one day and then somebody with a lot more knowledge of screenwriting will hopefully adapt it so, so I don't butcher it. May it be so. Thank you. Hi, thanks for being here. Can you tell us a little bit about your writing process? Uh, so my writing process has changed a lot in the last couple years since I started writing full-time. Um, like I mentioned, I used to kind of fit it in where I could, uh, a lot of times in the evenings and on weekends. Um, and that sort of lit a fire under me to be productive. Uh, when it became my full-time job, it became harder to actually get the work done, ironically. Um, but mostly I try to, these days, come up with a premise that is interesting and then make sure I actually can plot it because it's really easy to come up with a premise and then not actually know where to go from there. And that's why sometimes you read books where it's got a really interesting premise and then like 25% in it just disappears and you're like, wait, I thought this was about whatever and now it's just not. Um, so in order to avoid that, I, I have to sit with it and make sure I can get from A to Z, uh, even if I'm not necessarily sure what all the letters are yet in between. Um, and then I just sit down and I write it, and I, I have a tendency to go back and revise as I go, especially if I start getting stuck. I will go back to the beginning and start editing um, to try to get back on the right track. Uh, I'm currently doing that at 80,000 words, which is unpleasant. Um, but uh, I think that my process is very fluid. It changes a lot. And the more I've learned to go with that, instead of trying to fit it into something I think should be my process, the better off I've been. Other hand? Get my exercise. <laughs> I love that you guys are asking so many good questions. Two questions. I just wondered if you always wanted to be an author and how you decided to actually sit down and write a book to be published that you wanted to have published. Um, I actually wanted to be a history professor for a really long time. Um, I got a master's in history uh, while working full-time for American University and my plan was to go on and do the PhD somewhere. Um, and then I just realized I, I did not want to be in academia anymore. Um, I did not thrive in that environment, um, which is kind of ironic because publishing is not all that different in a lot of ways. Um, but I think that I, I always wrote stories as a little kid. Um, it was one of my favorite things to do and I never really thought I could do anything with it. I thought that that was like wanting to be an NBA, like that's just not a real dream to have. Um, but my friend started taking picture book writing classes uh, while during that period of time while I was home with my daughter and she was having a really good time and I had started reading for fun again and I thought I would really like to start writing again because I hadn't written for fun something non-academic in years and years and years at that point. But I felt like I needed to be perfect at it before I could even start. Like I needed to know literally everything there was to know about writing before I had a chance, before I could really go into it and have a chance of making something good. And um, that was kind of holding me back. And then my friend was like, just start and see what happens. Uh, and so I did. And it turns out I could write a whole book length thing. It wasn't good, but that's a really crucial first step, it turns out, to kind of know what you, find out what you don't know so you can then figure out where to go from there. Um, so once I started doing it for fun, I very quickly was like, if I'm going to do this, maybe I should be trying to do it seriously. 
Um, I'm very lucky that my husband supported me from the beginning, gave me the time and space I needed, made sure to treat it like a real thing and not just like a thing I was doing that didn't matter. Um, we basically treated it like my job before it was my job. Um, and I just got really determined and stubborn about it. And uh, 200 something rejections later, I finally figured out the, the right combination. Never give up. Uh, we have time for one more question. This has been fantastic, thank you. Um, so if your daughter, she's five now, let's say in 20 years from now, she says, Mom, I wanna be a writer, what advice would you give her? Um, I, I, it's funny, because she actually just the other day started writing her own little books, oh. unprompted. Oh, um, the, her first one was about a hippo who couldn't get food because the water kept washing it away or something. It was very cute. Um, uh, I think that my advice to her would just be know that you're always going to have more to learn. There is no kind of end point to being a writer. You're, it's like the, it's any creative field. You will always be changing, evolving, learning. Um, and also, just, it's so important to read. That's like the number one thing you can do to make your writing better is to read in your own life, outside of it. A lot of my best ideas come from deviating away from romance and reading literary fiction uh, for a bit, um, or mysteries, or things like that. Um, so yeah, I would say just kind of don't don't be so arrogant that you assume that you have already reached the pinnacle, uh, especially with your first manuscript, which is something that I think everybody winds up doing, thinking like, there's no up from here, this is the best, there's no changes needed, it's perfect. Um, and to just be open to new ideas through things like reading and talking to people and, and keeping an open mind. That gives me one more quote, and it's at the very end, and it's about behind the book section. Um, can you tell I'm a fan? I'm like writing all this down in my book of life. So um, it's about the ways that our journeys are often disrupted by the other things that tend to spring up out of nowhere and force us to recalculate our routes. The results of our detours can lead somewhere even better than we originally intended. So what you're saying about writing and the journey it is and the journey life is, um, it all ties in together in a cute little book, a rom-com about a road trip, but it's really about so much more. So Sarah, thank you so much for being with us. I really appreciate your time. We're going to turn it into a podcast episode for those of you who are listening to that. And Lisa, is there some final comments or things that you want to say? I want to thank everyone for spending the afternoon here with us. We really appreciate your support of our library and your friendship. Uh, Sarah will be signing books, and books are available for sale over here. So happy holidays. We all hope you have a safe and wonderful season. Thank you again to everybody for having me. This was a blast. Um, Please do buy my book. It keeps it keeps my daughter in donuts. Uh, but thank you. So you have just heard the recording of the interview with Sarah Adler, and just some general impressions from me. Um, something we've talked about, but not a whole lot, is the writer's journey. 
you know, this podcast so far has been heavily focused on readers, but we are getting to know writers through the interviews that we are conducting. And Sarah is a very interesting example. You know, she's a young woman. This is her first, um, her debut novel, at, at least her first being published. But we've learned um, in talking with her about the journey that it's not easy. Uh, she had hundreds of rejections before she was successful. She has a couple of manuscripts that aren't published. Uh, it's not easy. And she did it during COVID. She did it with a very young family and needed a lot of support um, to get to this, this place. So we're thrilled for her success, um, especially because she is local to our area. It was very much a pleasure to get to know her. And anyone who is an aspiring writer or even an accomplished writer, it's important <laughs> to kind of keep this in mind that um, you might have to get a lot of no's before you get to a yes. And being resilient and having um, a support system is extremely important. So you had something to add, I think about the Friends of the Library. I mentioned that this was a Friends of the Library event. Uh, a little bit earlier this year, I was in St. Michael's. Actually, if we go back even further, Lori and I were in Easton at the Tablet Library um, for the Chesapeake Children's Book Festival. And we ended up talking with a couple ladies from the uh, Talbot Friends of the Library. Yes. And then sometime between then and now, I was in St. Michael's, and they are doing an expansion of their library. They only have two libraries in the Talbot system. And the St. Michael's Library, they're adding, it's about 3,700 feet and square feet, and I think they're adding about a third or a half to it. But they are fundraising. There's county funding and state funding in the mix, but they're trying to do some fundraising to do some other things as well. Our Friends of the Library is promoting this, and you can get in touch with the Friends of the Library in Talbot County or directly get in touch with the Talbot County Public Library to tell you how you can help. So uh, in addition to the Friends of the Library uh, helping the library systems in developing activities, uh, something for us locally is just a quick reminder that um, you can certainly support the local library systems. Uh, there are lots of events that you can attend. Just in our area, as an example, there are three or four author events, book signings, some free, um, some um, at a small fee, and then you get a copy of the book that are all happening in the month of February. Uh, we're recording this on February 1st, and there are three or four just in, in the month ahead. So absolutely take a look at your local library's website. We will put the link to ours in the show notes if you'd like to get involved in some of the activities that are going on. We're very fortunate to have not only the library system, but the three local bookstores in our area. The last word in uh, Mount Airy, A Likely Story in Sykesville, and Rudolph Girls in Westminster. So if you'd like to get a copy of Sarah's book, um, this is a great way to do that. And she has a book coming up in April, um, Happy Medium, her second novel. So if you have read the first and waiting for the second, it is coming soon. And uh, additional information coming about what Sarah has going on and other events um, in our community. So until the next episode, thank you for listening. Enjoy your reading. <laughs>